Well, good morning, church, again. I'm going to snag this here, if that's okay. All right. So last night, I was getting some text messages through the evening of just how great things were going with the pies and praises. Um, it, myself and my family, we were out in East Valley celebrating my dad's 65th birthday last night, and uh, it was a surprise party for him, and it was really good, but it was really nice also just to get these messages of the sense of unity that was going on, um, as Brad just said, um, the anointing moments that were happening, um, just truly good stuff, and so thank you for being a part of last night, if you were. If you weren't, and it comes up again, uh, by, by all means, uh, sign up and be a part of it, and uh, Enjoy the evening. We have been moving through the thresholds of, of uh, how people are coming to know Jesus uh, in today's age. And so we've spent the last few weeks looking at three different areas. Today's number four. We're going to recap just a little bit uh, of that just to catch us all up. And when we talk about these thresholds now, like these are not the end all to how to bring someone to Jesus. This is just kind of the generalization of what people are seeing now in the church of how people are coming to Jesus. It doesn't mean that uh, the evangelism methods from the last 20 years to the last 200 or 500 years were wrong. It's just as time evolves and changes, so do methods and practices, right? So um, that's kind of what we're at and where we're going through. Um, we also adapt as a church to the methods and modes and practices and such because we believe of the urgency that there is behind sharing the good news and seeing people come to Jesus. At least that's our hope and desire as pastors to you guys as the church is that we all have the same urgency in our heart to see people know the same love that we know and understand as well. So that being said, um, there are some things that we just need to kind of get out in the open and just kind of let them be what they are. A lot of times we have a head knowledge of what it means to follow Jesus, and sometimes it doesn't always correlate with our heart. Sometimes it does, and that's really great. Um, but this, this undeniable truth that we don't like to talk about, and this is why we believe in the urgency, is that we are only guaranteed right now. Tomorrow's not a guarantee for us. Our life on this earth can end abruptly. It happens to some people. It happens to young people. It happens to older people. It happens all the time. It just doesn't make us feel very good to kind of have that reality kind of put back into our, in our faces sometimes. Um, so I'm just here to tell you guys to now, you guys ready for this? We're going to die. All right? Say it kind of facetiously in a sense, but there's a reality to that. And, and, and it's not to scare us either. It's just truth. This earth, this life that we live on earth is temporal. And so as followers, and it's one of the, the part of the language the Nazarene Church puts in, their, in, their, in our doctrinal statement is the urgency to, we really do believe that our call in this world is to really get out there and do the work of Jesus because of the short amount of time we have on this earth. 80 years, 90 years feels like a long time, but as, as Josh, uh, Pastor Josh put out uh, a few weeks ago when he brought up that rope and on, stretched it all out, right? You guys remember when he stretched out the rope? And he wrote and drew a little black mark on that rope. Like, comparatively speaking, in the, in the scope of how life goes and the years and the millennia that go on, like we're that little black speck on that rope. So, short time frames, we have urgency, and it's good. All right? So, 
the first threshold, if you, if you weren't here, was when we're talking about bringing someone and helping someone understand who Jesus is and becoming a follower, they, they, cro- they will cross through typically five different thresholds. The first one is just moving from this understanding of distrusting Christians to even just trusting Christians. It doesn't mean they're following Jesus. It just means moving from not seeing a follower of Jesus as someone who's equated with the Westboro Baptist Church. I pick on them quite a bit in messages, and there's a reason because they're wrong. Um, there's no other way to put it. Like they're just they're just wrong. Um, and so that leads to a lot of distrust of who followers of Jesus are. So they paint a bad picture who, who are Christians, right? So there's people that you meet, they're just not going to trust you because you say you're a Christian. And so the first threshold is seeing them move through, through conversations of just trusting who you are. That's a good threshold to get beyond. The second threshold uh, is seeing them move from an indifferent or an apathetic view of, of Christianity to, to a curiosity, asking questions uh, just having this moment of going, you know, you, you, you follow this, why? And, and is this real? And, and how does it work? Uh, these generalized questions that you're going to start getting in the second threshold. Still kind of surface level stuff. And, and what you're going to find is that they're still kind of guarded, right? You're not going to see a lot of vulnerability of opening up their, them opening up their lives to you. They're, they're just going to be throwing these questions out, like peppering them in the sense of like, is, is this real? Why do you trust this? Because they're trying to get to a point where maybe they can say, okay, well, what about me, right? How does that work in my life? The third threshold um, is where we see them become open to change. And, and this is where there's a deeper sense of them trusting their curiosity grows a little more and they're going to start making maybe some changes in their lifestyle and their behaviors. They're essentially kind of, for lack of a better term, trying on Christianity, trying on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You'll see them in church. You'll see them maybe come to some studies with you. You'll see them um, maybe even changing their radio stations, right? Like simple little lifestyle changes because they're trying to figure out, can I live in this and still be human in a sense? These three thresholds all come with the caveat that they are not committed followers of Jesus yet. And today, when we get to the fourth threshold, they're still not committed followers of Jesus yet. This one is all about seeking, seeking deeper, getting into some deeper questions and and looking for something tangible, almost like a, a resolution to the questions they have, the climactic moment before they make the decision. All right? So, um... What we're going to look at this morning is Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So if you want to open up your Bibles, or if you want to follow up on the screen, you can. It says this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, I'm not sure why they want to keep interchanging that, but they do. Uh, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So, Jesus is teaching. So, looking at it from the threshold standpoint, we see people trusting. They're listening. They're, they're, there's some curiosity involved. And, and so, people are around. He saw at the water's edge, Jesus saw at the water's edge, two boats left there by the fishermen who were, who were washing their, their nets. He got into one of the boats 
uh, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from from the shore. He then sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let your nets, or let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. So to take a little pause for a second, so we've seen some trusting, we've seen some curiosity, um, we're seeing now this openness to a change. Things that, and this openness to change can be very simple as what Peter's doing right now where I know what I'm doing as a fisherman. We didn't catch anything all night. I'm going to go home. But because I'm showing some trust, I've been curious because he calls him master in this passage, he's going to be open to a change. All right, because you say this is going to happen, because you say so, I'm going to throw my nets down and we'll, we'll see what happens. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their, their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners and the other boats to come over and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. That's a lot of fish, right? Anyone gone out fishing at a lake and just, you know, they cast the line out and you get one, two, a good day, maybe you get five or six fish, right? That, that, that's a good day. But your boat's not going to sink with two pounds worth of fish. This is a lot of fish. This is almost... It's an incredible moment, but also kind of like a scary moment because like your livelihood is going underwater with what you're going after to make a living. So it's a, it's a good moment. It's an incredible moment. It says, since Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. Or, yeah, fell at, fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so, so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This experience struck Peter, right? And there, there's commentaries out there that talk about young men when they are, are growing up in this time frame, and, and, and Jewish young men, by the time they're reaching 13 years old, they're looking to follow, some of them are looking to follow a rabbi, like they want to learn. They want to learn things of God. And rabbis, they're, they're, what they would do is they would pick maybe one or two students, most, most typically one, and that student would follow the rabbi, right? And if they didn't get picked, they went back home, they were part of the family business, and they, that's what they did. So it's, it's reasonable to say that Simon Peter... James and John were not chosen to follow a rabbi when they were at the age to follow a rabbi. But they were seeking. They were seekers. They wanted to know the truths of God. So they were curious. They trusted. They called, Peter called him master, right? And I found it, it was fun. Um, epistata. You want to say that with me? Epistata. Ready? Epistata. Sounds Spanish, but it's Greek. Um, it means the master, the authority, the, the, the commander, the one that they will listen to. This is what Peter calls Jesus before he follows him. You're the one that I can trust in what you say. You, you have knowledge. So he's trusting, he's curious, he's listening, he's open to change. And now there's this moment where Simon goes, I have this moment in front of me. <laughs> That one, I can't explain, and two, I can't deny. 
it's truth. Something that shouldn't have happened, happened. And through his seeking, he has an experience with Jesus. It was an, exp- an experience that shook him to the core. To the point where like, he essentially drops everything and follows him. Peter trusted Jesus. He listened when it didn't make sense. Whoa. Okay. Kids, teenagers, students in college and stuff like that, even, even adults, we, we, when we don't understand and we're told by someone in authority, hey, I need you to do this, more often than not, we ask the question, why? And I, I told you some stories before, individually and as, as a group, that I know an individual who will send you places and just tell you the bare bones of what you need to know. And you'll ask why, and he won't say anything to you. And it drives us nuts to the core because we like knowledge, we want to know what we're getting ourselves into. But sometimes Jesus is going to call us into things that don't make sense. And even if he told us why, it still might not make any sense. But we're called to follow doesn't mean we just blindly just kind of go into like crazy dumb situations. We follow because we believe there's goodness in what Jesus is teaching. In my reading in this, in this latest chapter, I'm, I'm believing this about the process. That in this fourth stage of, of seeking deeper they're seeking for not just even like the resolutions to some of these questions, but they're seeking out through the conversations with us as who we call and who we say are believers. What, we, what they're seeking is, is Jesus really tangible? Which comes into a hard question for us that we need to face. Has Jesus been tangible enough to us individually recently that we can honestly say Yes. Have we been open enough to experience when Jesus says, just trust me, do this? I'm also becoming a believer as I read this book that like, it talks about these five thresholds that non-believers will go to in order to find Jesus. I'm also wondering, like, is there a parallel also for believers going through the similar five thresholds as we walk people through this to challenge ourselves deeper into a faith that we weren't ready for to begin with? Because this whole process is not just a one-way relationship. This, these five thresholds are very much given into a give-and-take relationship between two or maybe more individuals of many conversations and many hours and many points of understanding and not understanding of where people are at and helping them understand what really Jesus is and helping them overcome these barriers. So internally, ask yourself the question, has Jesus moved in your life like he did with Peter? Maybe not for fishing, but think of your life. Like, is there a moment that is undeniable or unexplainable, but it's still truth? You know, we don't really have it in Scripture, but I can't imagine that Peter didn't just experience this and never talk about this moment ever again. This was probably a moment that Peter 
talked about at the dinner table with new friends that came over to their, you know, wherever they were at, and as they talked about Jesus, let me tell you this story about how my boat almost sank because Jesus said, cast your nets. This is a dinner table conversational story of joy. So when you have friends over at your house, what are the joy stories coming out? What are the stories that you want people to hear because they're so great in your life? Are they recent? In this stage of seeking, not only are they looking for is Jesus tangible, but they're, they're learning, right? And so one of the things that there's a struggle, and it, it's a good struggle, but we've got to be aware of our audience, right? If, if someone is seeking deeper, they don't always understand the Christianese language. We have our own language. Do you realize that? We do. And our own language doesn't make sense to the world. Right? So, fellowshipping, right? Like, we're the only group of people as the church that calls hanging out fellowshipping. We do. And nothing wrong with it, right? There's nothing wrong with calling it fellowship, right? But for someone coming in, in, in through this process, like, why, why would you say fellowship? Why don't you say you're going to hang out with one another? Why don't you just share life? Why is fellowship such a big word? These are, these are moments where the word isn't bad. We don't need to drop the term, but we can teach, right? Um, the hedge of protection, again, still not quite sure myself. Um, that's great. Um, but I don't even, I, don't, like, I can't even bring myself to use it. it for me, that's awkward. And my wife's going to teach me later, which is good. Be open to learning, and it's really great. Laying hands on someone outside of the church, this is probably not a good thing. All right? Mom's mad at the kids. Someone's going to get beat. Something to that effect. Whereas in the church, when we lay hands on someone, this is, this is a time of great, uh, a moment of prayer and a, and a time of just saying, yes, we believe that what God's going to do for you is going to be great and we're going to pray for you. And, and so that doesn't make sense, right? So how do, how do we take some of these, these uh, phrases and again, I'm not saying that we drop them in any way, shape, or form. I don't ever want us to, as a church, whether it's Orangewood Nazarene Church or any other church and that we have friends in other places, I don't believe we need to drop our terminology to placate to masses. We need to teach people. Uh, Dr. Leonard Sweet wrote a book a number of years back called The Gospel According to Starbucks. And in there, he points out the fact that Starbucks forces us to use their language. What, what's a small coffee called? Tall, right? What, what's a medium? Grind it. What, what's, a, what's, a, what's a large one? Okay, so you guys have all drank the coffee Kool-Aid of Starbucks, right? Here's the thing. I'm that guy, though. I still order the small. I go in there. I force them. I challenge them. And it's not always right. But I will go in there and I'll, I need a medium Java chip. Oh, so you, what's, what's the medium one? Ben? Grande? Oh, so you want a grande one? I'm like, is that the medium one? Like, yeah, it is. Great. I'll take that one. Uh, but Starbucks wants you essentially to kind of be like them. 
And so they teach you from the moment you walk in, and we accept it because it's good. Right? Generally speaking, if you enjoy coffee, you, you, most people enjoy going to Starbucks getting a coffee. And you're willing to learn the language because it's a good experience. Same with the church. The language we have isn't bad. It doesn't make sense to a lot of the world, but as they come in, if, if they are seeing that it is good, they pick up on the language. You guys realize Microsoft, the whole thing of uh, uh, Minesweeper and, and Solitaire wasn't to give you free games, it was teach you, to teach you how to use their software? How to teach you how to use right and left clicks and how to drag and drop? That's the whole purpose of those games, but we did it because it was fun. Let that sink in for a while. All those hours of Minesweeper that you never could win is all because they wanted to teach you without telling you that they were teaching you how to use something. And you did it because it was fun. We do this all the time. We learn things because we enjoy. We learn things because it makes sense to us. And same with the, what's going on in the church. People will learn when they have an opportunity to be taught. Learning isn't bad. But when they go through this process, as they learn these things, they're going to be asking questions because when they're, when they're seeking deeper into this, into this fourth threshold, the questions are going to get more pointed. How do I live this out at work? Can I be part of the same conversations I, I was at work? Can I, can I laugh at the same jokes now? Is that okay? Can I... How's my relationships going to change? Do, do, I, do I get to keep the same friends? Or do, what do I have to do? How are my finances going to change? Because I'm learning that we give these things called offerings now. So like, what does that do to my, my paycheck? These are tangible questions that seekers, when they're coming to these resolution moments, are going to have. So how do we answer those things? I venture to say it's like individually, like how has that affected you? How do your finances change because of giving? How, how have you been able to be in the workforce as a follower? What was so great about last night and what I was hearing was these anointing moments of oil and everything else and, and the sharing of stories and, and the songs that were sung and everything else was that you you like you know that your stories have value and there's incredible moments in your stories right and these stories like aren't just supposed to be kept for what's going on inside these four walls your stories are to be shared all over the place because i hope that there's never a moment when you say like jesus is done with me i've done enough on this earth I don't believe that's true for anyone. If we are continually breathing, God is continually authoring our story. And there is something for us to grab onto to share. When Peter and the others started to follow Jesus, um, I think it's, we can make the, the argument that they weren't committed followers of Jesus at the beginning. They trusted, they were curious, they were open to the change. They, 
they, they started seeking. And in the process of the three and a half years, Jesus taught them. Shared stories with them. Taught them how to pray. Taught them how to see the world differently, right? Because what happened when all the kids ran to Jesus? The disciples were like, get away, get away. Don't, don't mess with Jesus. And what is Jesus doing? What did he say? Back away. Let them come over here. This is good stuff. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. In the seeking portion, the worldviews really change. They're confronted with the openness to change, and then they really take root. He was honest with them and taught them that following Jesus was costly. And that's the other part of this as well. Is like when they're in this fourth threshold, they're counting the cost. They're trying to figure out what does it really mean to follow Jesus. And when you read Jesus' words for Jesus' words, what does Jesus say it means to follow him? There's no place for him to lay his head. So if you're going to follow me, just know this isn't the luxurious, we're going to go stay at the Marriott's every single night. I have no place to lay my head. If you're going to follow me, it's going to be uncomfortable sometimes. If you're going to follow me, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. If you're going to follow me, people are going to turn away from you like they turned away from me. If you follow me, all those things might happen, but it's one of the greatest experiences of your life. Jesus was honest with it. He spoke the words he needed to speak. And 2,000 plus years later, he has followers all over the world. So we know that these words are true. That's why we have the urgency. Because we don't know, a couple things. One, when Jesus is coming back. And we don't know when our time is up. We don't know when our friends' times are up. We have here, we have now. People are asking questions right now. We don't need to shy away from them. We can be honest. And that's part of this process, right? Like we talked about a few weeks ago. Let Jesus just speak Jesus. We don't need to make excuses for Jesus. We don't need to defend Jesus. We don't need to have all the answers. We just, this is a guiding process. I think that's why I like this five thresholds is that it's not so much of like, turn and burn now, right now. You gotta do it right now. This is a, we're really walking with someone as they go through emotional and spiritual changes and questions and, and barriers. It's a, it's a good process. Listen, Peter sought out God and came face to face with Jesus. Like, he just did. <laughs> he experienced the goodness in a way that can't be denied. And as we walk people with their journeys, we need to be able to answer this question. Is Jesus undeniable for us? Like, because here's the thing. The reason your stories are important is because people go through very similar situations than what you're going through. You guys, are, are you familiar with Celebrate Recovery? It's an incredible like, program that like, runs through the church. What I've learned from that is that 
typically the best mentors through that are the people that have gone through it. The subject matter experts are the ones who've gone through addiction, <laughs> who know the struggles of what it means to go through withdrawal, who know the struggles of what it means of just wanting to go back because it's easier to go back, but they know that it's better to fight through it. So raise your hand if you're perfect. Great. So here's the thing. We're flawed, and the flaws bring victory through Jesus. Your victories, your, your, the things you've dealt with, your struggles, are going to be there for somebody else. Pastor, I'm not an evangelist. You're a follower of Jesus. You can do this. We're not asking you to come out with the next five greatest points of how to share the gospel. We're asking you to believe in your call as a follower of Jesus and to share your story. You're called in a roundabout way to talk about yourself. That's pretty easy. This is how Jesus has affected my life. And if you struggle with that, I'm more than willing to help you with it. Help you understand how you can talk through your story and how it can help someone. Because your story is going to help bring people to an awareness of Jesus being undeniable for them. So, I want to pray for us. Give us a moment to just kind of sit in that. that this fourth stage of people seeking is really probably a bigger moment on our end too of just really digging deep. <laughs> so let's just open our hearts to Jesus. Father, right now we uh, help us to be more aware of our stories and how we can bring that, uh, those moments, those God moments out in, in a way that when they, when they look at us and they ask us questions, we can really say like, no, I, I, I didn't fish for thousands of fish, but I had this moment where I couldn't explain it, but I couldn't deny this truth. This is what happened. This is real. Jesus, as we encounter people who really are seeking you to really understand, may we be open to the uncomfortable. <laughs> the uncomfortable questions that come our way where we where we just know we don't have these answers, but we have experiences that can maybe fill the void. Let us always be reminded that you're not done with us. If we're on this earth, you're not done with us. So Jesus, as we just kind of sit in this moment, just inspire us a little bit, just make us aware of where you want us and where we're at.